This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. So are we going to visit Universe 1, Cosmos 2, Solar System 3? No. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we're going to be paying a visit to Galaxy 4. Hello everybody out there in Doctor Who podcast land. Welcome to episode 223 of said Doctor Who podcast. With me in the camp van this week is none other than Tom. Hello Tom. Hello, hello. It's lovely to be here. How are you? Not too bad. And in the other corner, still sitting on Trevor's chair, I notice, <laughs> and has been for the last couple of episodes, is Stephen. Hello Stephen. Hello James. Hello Tom. Hi, hi. Now, Stephen, you've been doing a little bit of a tour. Um, you haven't been recording with Tom Arrive for the last couple of episodes. And uh, last episode, you were well and truly leasoned. Um, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm doing well. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, we're not particularly shy or, or try to avoid controversy here on this particular podcast. But uh, I think you almost tried to poke a stick at, uh, at Leeson by telling him fundamentally he didn't own Doctor Who anymore <laughs> because he was British. <laughs> Yeah. I, I thought he was incredibly generous with you, I have to say. Well, you know, I I, I like to poke the sleeping bear sometimes. That's <laughs> Okay, well, we, we're going to poke back this time round. Now, you may remember when the three of us recorded your first episode, we asked you a series of questions, and there was one small little innocuous question we asked you, which was, what's your favourite, or which episode that's currently missing would you most like to see return to the archives? And you kind of said, I don't really know my old Doctor Who. And you thought you got away with that, yeah? Um, No, I didn't. (laughs) I know better. Well, this episode is going to be totally focused around Galaxy 4. So uh, just to give a little bit of context, is this something that you'd you'd listened to, you'd seen before? I I hadn't seen it before. I mean, I knew about it, but I hadn't seen it before. I mean, who doesn't know the the Dravins and the uh, Chumblies? But uh, yeah. Yeah, so this is my first watching of it, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay, Tom, how how familiar are you with this this particular story? Kind of familiar. I, I went through a phase about three or four years ago of listening to audio reconstructions of these stories so Mm. um, when I sat down to watch it I was more familiar with it than I thought because I had consumed it before Um, but of course uh, well we'll tell tell the story about how the uh, about the reason we're watching this but but I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's there's lots in the story to enjoy, um, and I think if this is well, as as this is an extra on the uh, on the Aztecs special edition disc, it's the thing which absolutely makes it worth going out to buy. Uh, indeed, uh, I, I have to admit, I was one of those who couldn't believe it was going to go on a special edition. I was really quite. Miffed, I have to say, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this reconstruction is probably well. I, I guess you could class it as the only professional reconstruction that exists. Presumably, there's loads of fan uh, created stuff, and they vary in quality as you expect. This this is been done by people who love the show and who know what they're doing. Arrived, have we? We have, my dear. Good. Where? Well, we should know all about that when we have a look at the scanner, don't we? Where are we, Doctor? Is it the planet you recognise? Listen. There isn't a sound out there. Not a sound. Silence. Well, the atmospheric pressure's quite normal. Oxygen. 
Temperature, radiation. It's all quite normal, I wonder. Hmm. I wonder if it's possible to have a planet so obviously conducive to life and yet without any. We go out and see. Yes, I don't see why not, my child. It appears absolutely deserted. As a matter of fact, I think we should get some long-deserved, undeserved peace for once. As many, many of the listeners know, um, a number, a good number of Doctor Who stories are missing from the BBC archive, purely because when Doctor Who was first made, it was seen as ephemera, and tape um, was expensive. So rather than having uh, an eternal record of these half-hour science fiction shows, when it came time to um, re- either reuse the tape or, or, or for whatever reason, part company with it, sometimes stories just vanish, so there are gaps in the archive. Now... Galaxy 4 um, from 1965 is it um, is, is one of the stories that's actually that's actually missing but very recently uh, one of the episodes was found and returned to the hands of the BBC so um, the number of episodes that miss that, that are missing goes down well hopefully goes down a little bit as, as time goes on in the meantime going back to the very beginning of the page um, if you uh, are fortunate enough to be able to afford to buy um, the Aztecs in special edition then you get a reconstruction of Galaxy 4. I think this last a little bit, just over an hour, an hour's worth of content which is mostly composed of episode 3 with um, a tele-snap version of uh, episodes 1, 2 and 4 tacked on around it. So you do actually get a very good sense of the story being told and a very clear uh, sense of the narrative Um, but of course with all of the action and all the good stuff that comes with seeing episode 3. Is that a fair assessment chaps? Yeah. I think so. It's, there's also some other bits and pieces that existed aside from episode three. There mm. was, I think, some um, footage, about six minutes actually, from episode one that was screened on another program, cool. uh, which which was saved, fortunately. So they were able to incorporate those six minutes into this reconstruction. And they've also come up with some special CGI. Mm. Um, again, certainly for Chumblies and the odd stick here and there. And I didn't know that when I started watching it. So I was thinking... That looks very, very clear a picture. <laughs> and they've been kind of superimposed onto some of those telesnaps Tom mentioned. And and for me, it, it, it's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to say that a, a lot of the, the CGI chumblies really looked like it was recovered footage. I mean, there was a lot of it, a lot of it in there that I... I had to take a really close look at and to realize that it wasn't uh, actual footage that there was uh, that it was uh, me too yeah it mm-hmm. was yeah, mixed me, in me and too. it was it was it was graded very very well I mean there's a couple dodgy bits uh, when <laughs> the when they're trying to pull the uh, the <laughs> the the net off of the other chumbly I'm like oh, okay that looks like a video game but uh, but a lot of it was done really well oh. um, and, I, and I didn't notice that at all the the only time I realized it was CGI in fact and I think it's hard to tell that it's CGI because it is all in black and white is when they had the sliding door uh, of the spaceship and I thought oh now that definitely does look like some kind of animation um, and I think they did have some computer-generated animation there as well. It was pretty comprehensive, a reconstruction. Well, there was also the the part when... Um, uh, what's her name? I can never pronounce pronounce her name. Marga. Marvin. Ma- Marga. Marga. Um, it, 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 she's doing something with the Chumbly. I believe it's her. She's doing something. And it's all just CGI, right? It's They actually recreated the drop-in in CGI. Mm. And, it was, and it was... 
that part really stood out. But um, but other than that, it was I, I, I have to say that you're, I have to agree that the reconstruction of it really they from what they had considering considering what they had um, they really built uh, a very nice story and the story flows and, and goes together incredibly well and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, pl- it played out played out beautifully I must say. I have a slight issue with the pacing, I think, but I, I think that's just the fan inside of me. It, it, it felt as though it had been condensed into purely the dialogue of this story, which of course it had been. And mm. I think in order to present something that is interesting to watch, you need to get rid of all of the stuff where there isn't much conversation. Um, where they haven't been able to do that, they've actually subtitled the screen and, and they've said, you know, the Doctor and Stephen exchange worried glances or something like that. And that, you know, it kind of works, but it also is an acknowledgement of the fact that they can't tell the whole story this way. Yeah. And, and for me, there isn't actually a great deal of story there. I think this story moves along. Um, if you were listening to the audio, for instance, uh, the, the speed of a tortoise and what they've done is just sped that tortoise up a little bit um, yeah. and therefore you get slightly artificial results but having said that it was it was hugely enjoyable and it's something that I will undoubtedly go and revisit many many times well I, I've got to be honest this this story and the way it's been edited gives truth to the often cite the often mentioned idea that most six parties or in some cases seven parters would make perfectly good two parters because this is four episodes that's been condensed down into an hour and <laughs> it works so much better than the, than the, the the long drawn out full uh, full length episodes it actually works it's it's tight it's snappy and when when you do get episode, get to episode 3 there's or there's just enough exposition that's ha- that's happened and just enough resolution on the other side of it for the live action to be exactly right i really enjoyed it because my my my, my standard complaint of a of certain up certain amount of black and white classic doctor who is that it's so slow it is slow mm. but this was not designed to be watched in one, one sitting no you're you right. know, never was i mean when you had the daleks master plan even which isn't Ooh. actually that slow that's that's quite a um quite a pacey story by comparison even to galaxy four you know you watch it one episode a week Mm, yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. if you can restrain yourself, and I have difficulty doing this when I watch uh, any kind of Doctor Who, is to stop watching after that episode's finished. Mm. And even if you have half an hour to an hour's break, mm. force yourself to stop because when you go back to it, you appreciate it so much more. Yeah, I can't watch anything one episode a week. Uh, it's just it's that's that's my biggest problem with. And I I will sit and watch you know a full story in in one sitting of of of, of uh, classic Ooh. Doctor Who, and and I know that it's not meant to be that way, and and so my. I, and it's in my brain, like, well, this is, I, it's in my brain that it's not meant to be that way, and so I accept the pacing and things like that because I know that I'm supposed to be watching it every week. But um, mm. I just can't, you know. It's, I'm a marathon <laughs> Pun- <man>. Punishment, punishment. <laughs> That's the way I generally watch modern TV, and certainly I could sit there and quite happily watch half a series since the show's come back. I mean, season six, for instance, you get so much out of if you just watch the first six episodes straight away when I say season six I read I mean the new season six uh, the mm. one that was broadcast a couple of years or so ago but the, the first two episodes of galaxy four here uh, they're, they're done within 28 minutes yeah so they've lost you know about 20 minutes and Tom as you rightly said story doesn't suffer you still understand what's going on they've taken you know pains to make certain that things don't go but the scenes that have gone are ones that I really liked I mean for instance this story starts off either if you read the novel or if you listen to the audio Stephen getting a haircut it's a bizarre (laughs) 
scene where with Vicky with a pair of scissors. You know, especially when you consider Susan was given a pair of scissors in, oh, inside dear. the spaceship and what she did with those. But that's gone completely. You know, and and that's just those little character moments that add nothing to the story. Really enhance my enjoyment of these old stories. And the reals mm. won't harm us. They want to help. We were told your friend is in danger. Is, is that a real talking? Yes. Hmm? Well, answer him. Oh yes, you were told correctly. Doctor, uh, they're not deaf. Oh, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. I beg your pardon. I, I thought you couldn't hear. We are not deaf, you know. Uh, Perhaps you will both come inside. I really do want to give this story uh, its 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 importance in do- in terms of Doctor Who history. It's the first season, of, uh, sorry, the first story of season three, nineteen sixty five to nineteen sixty six, and it's the second story where the Doctor has a whole new crew. So at the end of season two, there's been the time meddler, um, but this season opener is the first time that we've got the Doctor, Stephen and Vicky. So it's a whole new crew. Um, and what I notice about this story is it's the, f- it's the first time that the Doctor starts to be the Doctor. Now, don't get me wrong, um, the modern Doctor Who's been developing all the way through the first two seasons of the show, but this is, the to me, this feels like the first time that it's actually the show that we know and recognise. When you when you watch um, Unearth, Unearthly Child, you see the seeds of it. Here are the characters that come out, and it's something new, and it's something very different. But when we get to Galaxy 4, it really is, in most intents, to all intents and purposes, the show that we're watching 50 years later. Um, and do you know who's responsible for it, in go, my view? Go on. Dennis Spooner. Dennis Spooner introduced a humour to this show Mm. which is very evident uh, within Galaxy 4 and again I'm not sure whether that's something which Spooner worked on but it certainly picked up the comedic elements of the first Doctor Mm. which which he so clearly uh, is identifiable by. You look at something like The Rescue Mm. you've got a fairly tragic circumstance there. Vicky's first story uh, Mm. you know everybody's dead she's reliant on someone who's deceiving her it's quite a traumatic story and yet there are some hilarious moments the doctor is funny Mm. he's likable he's endearing the time middler he's basically carry on time travel you know he's even got (laughs) peter butterworth in it yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 now you've got galaxy four here and at the beginning of this story with the haircut scene with the doctor coming out smelling you know the silence as it turned out and taking pleasure in just being in an alien world and seeing the image with three sons there this is doctor who that you know we see today and and you're absolutely right tom and for me the architect of this format is is dennis spooner entirely he was on the show for such a small period of time as story editor but he's his influence i think permeated all of patrick troughton's era set the tone even though he wasn't on the show then you know it's interesting james when you were saying about the the character moments and the haircut and actually that would have made this so much more enjoyable for me because that's what <laughs> yes. really what i was that's what i was what i was missing from it is that there's not a lot of character development and you're right there's not a lot of story and it seems like a lot of a lot of the uh the nuances are missing from from this uh it's just sort of trundles along at this uh, you know at uh, at a pace just getting through the story and obviously this this overarching theme of don't judge a book by its cover that really never sort of quite comes through you know you get it but it's just it's there's not there's no build to it you know it's just they're they're here and they're trying to get off the planet and these people are bad and these people are good and that and now we figure that out and it just sort of goes through it but yeah those little moments would have would have been nice if they had been in there because that's what it was missing just those those couple bits of of, of feeling a little something about the characters mm. because even maga you you get the sense that there's 
that there's something else going on there and there's a reason why she's doing all this but i oh, never yeah. fully you never fully get her motivation or understand who anything about her you you're, know? you're quite right and it, it, you really dip into her character in airlock episode three the one that was recovered and she gets i think it's almost a two minute soliloquy mm-hmm. where she starts mm-hmm. talking about the nature of going into space with people who don't have any intelligent thought or any capacity for intelligent thoughts it must be a bit like tom when he gets into the caravan with no, us. Not <laughs> you know it's um it, it's wonderful to get the insight there but at, at the same time you're right it doesn't quite crum- come through and there's another example of that you you've got you know a, a race or an alien race in the dravins that is something new you know it's entirely female and yeah you get the one line from Stephen that's sexist casually and, you know, sexist just, just yeah. Says, yeah it was quite quite yeah. interesting i think at the time but that's it but what you do get is a female race portrayed in ex- exceptionally negative light, and they are the ones who are trying to kind of thrust this this moral you were talking about. These beautiful women, at the mo- you know, on the face of it, had absolutely no substance to them, and are actually quite evil. Um, I, I quite like to hear what the uh, the Verity podcasters would have to say about this story. Actually, I think they're probably all spontaneously combust. But uh, <laughs> I. I I just I like what this story was trying to do. Um, for me, I'll always have an affection for Galaxy Four. Anyway, it was one of the very first Target novelizations I read, and I didn't even know that the visuals were missing at that point. And I loved the story. Mm. I absolutely loved William M's novelization. And when I found out that it was missing, I was very sad. And when I heard the full um, audio which again was only relatively recently discovered. I mean, there was very little of this episode in existence at all until 20 years or so ago. And um, even the audio is such poor quality and they haven't been able to tidy it up that much for this particular release. Mm. But it's just a... It's just a fascinating hour's worth of viewing if you're a Doctor Who fan. If if you've got someone who's interested in Doctor Who and you want to show them a first Doctor story, I would probably discourage you from from showing them <laughs> Galaxy 4. There are other stories that do the job far far better, but for me it's an absolute joy to watch this again. I was I was kind of waiting for Maga to uh to for for her reason for keeping Steven there because she uh had had some sort of crush on him like i was sort of feeling like that's like that's where this was going to go and then it just didn't go anywhere i was like ah i thought that's where the reverse sexism was going to come in line that she was keeping him for you know for dirty purposes well but, you know. well he was asleep essentially wasn't he for yeah. half of the episode i mean that that was typical and i remember speaking to um peter purvis about this finally they discover an episode that you're in and you're asleep for half of it <laughs> If you own the Aztecs, then see if you can find a young fan of Doctor Who that maybe doesn't own it. And if you can spare the money, maybe trade up uh, and pick up and pick this up. Because, as I say, there, there's an awful lot of establishment of things that we come to take for granted later. For instance, one of the doctor, the doctor is le- of the sorry, the character of the Doctor is being drawn in quite broad strokes here. But there's a wonderful line where the Doctor says, "I never, um, no guns. I never kill anything. Little, little, little things." Where uh, just a few years ago, he'd picked up a he picked up a rock and he was about to decapitate somebody with it for slowing them down. So the character of the Doctor is really coming into sharp relief here given that there's a new crew, um, and the things that take place in this season, so things like the massacre, the ark, the gun, the gunfighters even, um, and certainly the war machines really give birth to the show that we, we know and recognise right now. If you've not seen the Aztecs, 
definitely go and get it if only for the scene at the very end of of the of the main story where the doctor is um, working the TARDIS control uh, working working the TARDIS console and he owns that mother he owns that machine it's amazing <laughs> it's like yeah put it this way if for those for those of you who have um, who enjoyed it? I did the uh, the Doctor's wife um, in recent years. This is the bit where the Doctor is owning that box. Oh yeah! So yes, it, it, <laughs> I'm not quite sure it was that explicit. Well, but, uh, but I do know what you mean, and I, I think certainly the relationship with the TARDIS is is very evident mm. there. But um, and and it has actually got quite revolutionary and advanced methods of storytelling. I mean, there wasn't a terrific amount of flashbacks used in Doctor Who mm. up until this point, or even after it, mm. but there was a flashback scene, you know, a part where you go back and you find out what actually happens. Mm. And that was quite innovative storytelling, I felt. I think I think you're right. There's also the, the idea that partway through this, or certainly partway through at the very beginning of episode three, it becomes very obvious that the Doctor has got a clear idea what is going on. Um, which I, and I really and even and even in episode one that that yeah. whole that whole Columbo moment of like oh he's worked it out he's worked it out and then yeah. just watching the other characters catch up with him is wonderful I think I know but then in two episodes later he almost poisons the rills oh good lord yeah. <laughs> and then rather than say oh I'm, I'm I'm terribly sorry he kind of smiles and chuckles about it when he realizes what he's done oh. and then he looks I mean again I, I'm describing a scene I know which I usually try and avoid but this is it made me laugh um, he, he looks at this Chumbly who you know, I don't know whether you have Henry Hoover's over in America, Stephen, but the Chumblies are Henry Hoover's fundamentally. Yeah, is that is that a is that a pull along vacuum? Yeah, it's basically a Chumbly <laughs> <laughs> with with a long hose for you to use as a Hoover. Gotcha. And it's got uh, it's got so two eyes and a smiley abs- face to, on to it. To be absolutely clear, the the the, uh, the technological aspect of this looks like a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, absolutely correct. Yes, yes. but though no, I still want I still want character options to make me a little pullback one that I can put on my desk and play with during the day. I think it's only a matter of yes. time, I'm sure. <laughs> but I, I like the way the doctor just said, to, you know, when when he passes this chumbly, where's he off to? And he went, oh, to fix the damage you have done. And it was like, oh, uh, yes, I'm very sorry about that. And <laughs> that's great. And I like that kind of doctor. And I'm sure it was driven by the desire to have a comedic element to the doctor's character. Mm. Um, but for me, it works. Fantastically well. Did either of you recognise the guns or the sound effects? No, go on. Well, the guns were used again in um, the war games later on. They're exactly the same guns, and the the noise of the ship, the Dravin ship, is the noise of the TARDIS once again in the war games. We like the war games. War games mm. is ace. I, I liked I liked when when uh, <laughs> when he goes to start, you know. To poison the the rills, and he starts to to mess with that thing, and his cane falls, and there's just this little like blooper where they where he puts he puts his cane against, and then it falls down. You hear, and he sort of tries to play it off. Yes. He looks like, oh no, no, you know, and it's it's it, I love those little those little moments that they're just like, wow, we're not shooting it again. Just keep exactly. going, just keep going. Yeah, it's you just know? like it's watching sixties television in action, really, isn't it? And oh, you so know, great. You think of how many mistakes Hartnell made that were that, that were left in that um is it's a way of enjoying <laughs> television now that you'll never get again, you know, ever. Occasionally you'll see some, you know, walls wobble in seventies BBC comedies or drama, but you never quite get how 
you know, seat of the pants that they were recording back in the 60s. It can't you know, be moved. It's immovable. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the wall that comes down. You're just, yeah, that's... That, oh, that wall. Just it's, It looks... It's just immovable. That's it. We can't, we can't get past Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and I know we can hide behind this little box that wouldn't hide a child, but uh, for some reason, this <laughs> yeah. Hoover didn't notice either Vicky or indeed uh, the Doctor. It's just brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. listen, I have to say, we're, we, we, we seem to be in agreement that, it's worth, that this is worth watching, but thanks to the miracle of electronic communications and recording, uh, we can get a fourth opinion. Um, shall we play that now? Reconstructions. Uh, it's, like, it's like video archaeology, really, isn't it? Uh, and I've, I've watched some before. Uh, I don't, never hold serials. I've never managed to stick it. I've always been more of a fan of the audio reconstructions that uh, the BBC have done with the linking narration. Uh, perhaps that's because I'm a big, big Finnish fan. It's, I think it's because I, I like the audio formats in general, and I've always found those much more satisfying. However, I came, I came to this. I, I, I came to this, and um, being able to watch it on, on the telly, on the big screen, was a big help, I think. And initially, I had the, the usual a response that I have to watching reconstructions, which which is kind of, I'm listening to the audio, and I, I don't really find the images to, to, to help, if anything. I've, in, in the past, and for the, for the first part of the Galaxy 4 reconstruction, I've found them a distraction, and I've almost tried to tune out and just listen to the, um, and listen to the audio. But slowly, and by, and by degrees, uh, I was drawn into this. And it is very nicely done. It's, it's basic... But um, the bits that they have done that, that are animated, because this this is uh, includes uh, surviving footage, and there's some nice Chumley work uh, where they they've woven in bits of Chumleys moving into the static images. It slowly it slowly began to get me, uh, and episode one finished, and and I was there. I was there. I I, I felt like I I felt like I'd experienced it, um, and I wasn't thinking, oh well, this is the best that I can manage. Uh, and, you know, gamely, I, I, I popped on episode two, made a fresh cup of tea and popped on episode two. Uh, and and by, by episode two, you know, I, I, the, the, the little moving bits, if anything, um, that were in there, if anything jarred me out of the experience. And when we finally got to the full, to airlock, the full moving episode, um, I was a bit disappointed. I, I, I was quite enjoying the, uh, the reconstruction. Um, so... I, I'm, a, I'm a recon. I'm a recon convert. This is uh, this is me, uh, Lisa Fisher, and I. I I've just now. This is why I've been spurred on to record this pre-record. Have been seeking out other recons. I'm currently watching a very good recon on a thing called YouTube, um, and it's uh, the Wheel in Space. Something that I've only ever experienced uh, in the audio form, and uh, somebody's somebody's gone and made a very very nice one, uh, and to equal easily to equal what the BBC have done. Um, yeah, the BBC, the BBC should have uh, jumped on this bandwagon uh, a long time ago. I wonder why they didn't. Hmm. Unless they've, uh, unless they found loads of old, old Doctor Who, and uh, and there's no point in doing any reconstructions anymore. Contentious point. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a recon convert. I'm going to keep saying that because it sounds like a it's like a nice phrase. So uh, I would I would if you haven't like me ever ever got the reconstruction thing or ever really enjoyed one, go out there and seek it out. It's uh, it's quite good. I feel like I've watched Galaxy Four. And just as an aside, 
it's not nearly as bad as everyone said it was. Uh, so thank you for that, Lisa. So I think we're all in agreement here that uh, that we thoroughly enjoyed uh, Galaxy Four, mm. uh, this version of it. And uh, but the, at, at the same time, there was a another uh, lost episode found, the Underwater Menace, and uh, I believe that Ian Michelle have done a little review of that one. Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish Hang on a mo, this isn't Big Finish, that's a Big Finish jingle. The Underwater Menace is a BBC production. Listen, your jingle doesn't work. My, my jingle? I, I only did what you said. Well, can we have a more appropriate jingle for when Ian and Michelle review non-Big Finish stuff, please? What, now? Yes, now. Yesterday, in fact. You're late already. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 that's, yeah, I can, I can do that. Um, hang on, just, uh... <coughs> Hang on, it's hot, it's not in tune. Ian and Michelle, no, no. Ian and Michelle not doing a big finish. Doing a BBC production and one of the audios. Doing big finish is what they do sometimes. Not, but they're not doing that now, they're doing it something else instead. You know what will happen, don't you? You tell me, Doctor. When the water will be converted into superheated steam, the pressure will grow and crack the crust of the Earth. Destroy all life, maybe even blow the planet apart. Yes, and I shall have redeemed my promise to lift Atlantis from the sea. Lift it to the sky! Well, Ian, it's been a while since we had a chance to review one of the stories from the classic era. This was a great chance to go back and revisit Underwater Menace. Most of the episodes, well, I guess only half of the episodes now are missing, but how did you choose to do it? Uh, I listened to the audio version narrated by Annika Wills, released through BBC Audio. And how about you, Michelle? Well, this is the only the second time, and it's in less than a month, that I've gone back and looked at one of the recons. And I've always heard, it seems like the, the prevailing wisdom is fa- in fandom is that the recons are horrendous to sit through and agonizing. And uh, having having watched this one just recently, I think I've become a fan of recons. I love the ability to see the images and hear, hear the voices at the same time. And I feel like I can recreate a lot of it in my mind. Of course, in this case, I was able to watch episode three uh, as it aired, thanks to the Lost in Time DVD. Haven't seen episode two yet because that hasn't come out yet, but it'll be interesting as we discuss this to, to compare. Uh, I have some visuals in mind and you have the audio and we're able to maybe create your own visuals to an extent, but uh, why don't we get into it? Well, interestingly, one of the things I struggled with with this was the visuals. Um, in Power of the Daleks, I actually found it relatively easy to, to picture what was going on and it was actually a really engaging story. But in here, I had a really hard time actually picturing what was going on and I think part of it was the really confused nature of the story that made it difficult to get a coherent picture in your mind without some visual anchor to hang on to so you've got the high-tech science piece of the scientist you've got this sort of almost sort of primitive um, tribe of the Atlanteans and the, the, the worshipping of this idol all underground in a mountain and I don't know. I really struggled to picture this in my mind. Well, it's interesting. I'll bet whatever you're picturing was not <laughs> what it really looked like. I think you'd have a hard time envisioning it. One thing about the set design, the costume design, 
this was definitely theatrical. I mean, everything was big and, 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 you know, the hats were kind of bizarre and the costumes were kind of bizarre and the fish costumes were kind of bizarre for the fish people. The sets were big. I, I was actually quite impressed with things like the temple set and the laboratory set. Some of the criticisms I've read of this is that it's all too strange. And I found it, as I said, theatrical, and I was willing to go with it. It was okay. It was kind of a big story. Some of the characters were a little over the top, but it, it didn't dissuade me from the story. I think saying a little bit over the top is perhaps being kind to it. So I found this to be really hard work, to be honest with you. I found a lot of the basic premise hard to take on board, over and above the visual element of it. The idea that in what's meant to be modern times, you have this throwback civilization that's hidden underneath a mountain, plus you've got this you know, world-renowned scientist that the doctor's heard of and instantly recognises from his plankton. <laughs> and he and he's hidden down in there with him doing what's actually extraordinarily high-tech science alongside this sort of spear-throwing people and the sort of slightly odd fish people element too. There was an awful lot thrown into the mix here and it was it didn't really come together as a coherent whole. So my, my sort of take on the plot very much mirrored my lack of take on, on the visuals as well. There are things that I didn't like about this story, and I'll get to those in a little bit, but there are some things that I really enjoyed. Top of the list would be the characterization of the Doctor. Patrick Troughton is wonderful in this. The Doctor as a character is wonderful in this. He's witty, he's mischievous, but not clowny. You know, I always heard, I haven't watched that much Patrick Troughton yet, and I've always heard him as the little clown, He's not really clowning in this, but he's clever. Uh, but at the same time, he's got the compassionate side. Uh, he's kind and he's good and he's decent, the things that I, I love about the Doctor. And he uses words, for the most part, to, to try and win over a situation. I love the sequence where he is convincing the, the priest that they're on the same side. Classic Doctor stuff, wonderful Doctor stuff. Yes, Patrick Troughton's great. Patrick Troughton's nearly always great. One of the things I found interesting was how unusual uh, Fraser Hines sounded as Jamie. This, of course, being his first story after he joined the TARDIS crew. The the Scots accent is very broad, and you you see some of the what's that Doctor stuff, which uh, they often talk about um, with things like radiation or science that he wouldn't know. Uh, but he also had a very small part in the story. And from the other stories I've seen of this era, you're used to Jamie being front and centre and, you know, right there in the story. And here he actually had a very small role, which was because it was carved out of Ben and Polly's lines, because as it was originally written, he wasn't going to be there at all. So that was unusual and different. I think where I, I started to really struggle with this are some of the really difficult plot elements. Things like the Zarkov's actual plan, which is just to destroy the entire world because... Now, OK, we, we get cackling loons in Doctor Who, but this one seemed particularly out there in terms of his motivations. I mean, I suppose the Doctor does allude to the fact that he's actually gone stark staring mad. But even so, I find it really, really hard to believably accept that this is what the sort of primary threat was. And then you've got sort of contrivances like the plankton food that, oh, it goes, it rots after six hours, which was just a horrible plot device. And again, I know Doctor Who does these things, but this was a particularly leaden example of, oh, if we do this, then that sets us up to have an entire civil war in five hours fact that we can fit into the story. I guess I'm willing to go with those things if I'm engaged in the story and in the characters, and, and I, I was in this. Actually, what bothered me in terms of the performance, well, maybe not performance, but characterization, what bothered me more, and, and my primary problem with this, was Polly. This is a horrendous story for Polly. She spends the entire time whining and whimpering and sniveling, and, you know, we're never going to get out of this alive. Oh, oh it's no use, Jamie. I'll never make it. 
course you can. One wee slope more away. Oh, and another, and another, and another. It's no use. I won't, Jamie. Come on. No, no, I can't, Jamie. I can't. I can't. Polly. I can't. I Polly. Can't. I'll help you. I, ooh, it would have. I think it would have been embarrassing to play, but I mean that must have been the way it was written. It, it she wasn't doing anything that wasn't written in the script. Well, she did start off being strapped down to a table and menaced with a giant, uh, a giant hypodermic needle as the, the cliffhanger to the, the end of episode one. Which actually brings up a good point. There are some very troubling sequences in this. Uh, pretty horrific sequences. One of which. Um, not as bad as some of the others, is the one you just mentioned, where, where she's being strapped down and they're going after her with a hypodermic. But uh, later on, there, there's a place where Zaroff uh, impales the, the high priest. Now, you don't actually see it impaled. It happens just off camera. But you, you see the, uh, the end of the javelin kind of wavering in the front of your screen, you know, front of picture, as presumably he's in his death throes down there. I was really surprised. And then the end sequences where Zaroff is drowning uh, in his lab are pretty doggone graphic. Um, and the reason that we still have them is because Australian TV cut them, censored them out. They wouldn't show them. And so even though it's the fourth episode, we do have these sequences. But those are pretty haunting images. Um, not that I'm necessarily complaining. It, it's just kind of more brutal stuff than I had seen in Doctor Who before, or at least that I expected, particularly in this era of Doctor Who. It's really some powerful stuff. As, as I was listening to it, actually, and this is my first time with this story, so I, I hadn't, I didn't know what the plot was in, in advance. Um, I did think during the sequences of Zaroff drowning, that's that's tough. I wonder how they managed to show that on TV without it being far too gruesome and horrible to really want to show to children. It's gruesome and horrible. Oh, well, there you go. My, my mind accurately <laughs> pictured it. Um, the other thing I found a bit strange, actually, was that, uh, having not seen it before, obviously not seen it before, but uh, having not encountered it before, the signature piece everyone has for the underwater menace is the fish people. It's what shows on all the covers, and it's obviously the monster of the week. They barely show up in this. You know, they, 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 from what I can uh, tell from the audio, you see them in the distance in episode one, Polly's threatened to be turned into one, and then they have a five-minute revolution in episode four. And during that sequence in episode four, they are on screen pretty prominently. There's been some criticism of, uh, you can see the wires that, that, that they're using to kind of fly them around. I thought, again, with a little suspension of disbelief, that it was pretty neat. I, You know, they did, to me, look like they were swimming underwater. They do have some very stylized makeup and costuming, but it really did feel like you were looking into a different world and a different culture and something that is unlike anything else that I can think of offhand that we've seen in Doctor Who. I was not bothered by that to the degree that a lot of fans seem to be. In the end, I'll tell you, I, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as its reputation would, would have it. And I think there are things in it that are worth looking into, even though, yeah, there, there, there are some clunky elements as well. Well, I think this story was a particularly tough one to do in audio, and I have a suspicion that behind that it wasn't a very good story to start with. Um, the Discontinuity Guide describes it as Plan 9 from Outer Space for Doctor Who, and I think I see what they mean. Be interested to hear what the listeners have to say, uh, who may have watched the recon or listened to the audio, and particularly when the when episode uh, two does become available, and I'm sure a lot more people will will revisit the the uh, story. Love to hear some feedback on uh, is Ian right or is Michelle right? 
Well, thanks, Ian. Thanks, Michelle. Um, although you kind of say that you disagree with each other, I, I, I'm not so sure this is one of your larger disagreements, I have to say. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly interested as well, listeners. You heard Ian and Michelle's call for it. Send in feedback to feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com. Yes, so episode two rediscovered. There are now two episodes of The Underwater Menace that exist, episodes two and episodes three, and yet episode two has yet to be released. Why? Well, who knows? Perhaps episodes one and four might get animated. You know, there's, it could be one of those things. But um, I, th- I think as we were discussing briefly, there is a collection if anyone is into, uh, if anyone would uh, like to spend even more money, um, called Lost in Time. Now, this is a great um, boxed set of uh, odds and ends of, of 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 recovered episodes from the first and second Doctor's era, and I absolutely adore this. Um, now, I, I wonder if there's a case, perhaps, putting together a second edition of of, Lo- of Lost in Time. Would you buy it if there were? I would. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. No, no, I just I would, but I'm a I'm a sucker. Did, did, <laughs> did you buy Lost in Time one, if you like, or the first the first set? I did. Yes. So, um, <laughs> so of course I'd buy the second set. It, it's got more stuff on it. You know, if, I adore if, it. if it was the only place which you could get it, then yes. But I, I have a feeling that's going to be highly unlikely. I too think The Underwater Menace will almost certainly be animated, Tom. Mm. Um, I, I think you look at the work they've done on Galaxy 4, I think they've, they've got two episodes. They've got more of The Underwater Menace now than they've got of Galaxy 4. I think it warrants. I think it warrants an animation. You know, it's an interesting story, whether you like it or whether you don't. It's, it's hugely ambitious. The sets are enormous. It almost burst the budget at the time Mm. Uh, Troughton ended up saying that it was a very silly story but it looked quite good (laughs) and it so nearly didn't get made in the first place it wasn't even on the original schedule Mm. Um, there was there was something again ironically by William Ems was was slated for that slot that never got round to being being made but um, Underwater Menace for me yeah I I listened to it years and years ago and uh, I'm I'm very keen to see how that would look I, you know, CGI animation. I think that would be really good. My only complaint is that it's taken so damn long to release the thing or to make it available. It was presented at the official Doctor Who convention mm. in Cardiff back in March 2012, mm. and we've not seen we've not seen any more of it. You know, we know it's been restored. Do you know there's there's a, there's a party game that um called Songs I Love by Bands I Hate and and it's sister game <laughs> which is Songs I Hate by Bands I Love and I've got to say Trout, Patrick Troughton is easily my favourite of the Doctor actors um no dis- no disrespect to any of them but he is my favourite but yeah the, it's the silliest abs without without question the silliest story of the, of the of the entire second doctor's run um, nothing in the world can stop me now oh good god it's just, it, <laughs> it, it, i think that in the book how to overact there's a picture of professor zaroff with the, with the entire doctor who cast looking at him and pointing in the background going like that um so i, I don't know i mean I, I'm always, it's always good to see episodes of of the show returned but it's it's that old thing it's like all of the episodes that are missing, could we not have had, like, I don't, I don't know, Power of the Daleks episode one? Of all of the ones to come back, could we, we had that one? I, I, do you know, it, 
I, of course, everybody feels that way, really. You know, you get so excited about having episodes returned and the rumour mill, you know, kicked in at least 24 hours, 48 hours before the announcement was actually made at the BFI. Mm. Uh, you know, of course, the immediate reaction is, oh, those two. And yeah, you know, for me, it, it's... I don't care what episode they find. I mean, clearly I've got my favourites. But yes, you know, it, it. the Underwater Menace is interesting for other reasons. It really shows off... Patrick Troughton's acting ability and uh, that the rediscovered episode has scenes within Zaroff's laboratory which no one knew what it looked like before because there weren't any tele snaps um, there weren't any pictures this this was brand new stuff that this episode you know it, it's discovery brought to light and, and and for me that kind of stuff is fantastic and the actor who played Zaroff is immense you know you, you need him to return with the guy from horns of nymon and oh you know what a what a story graham crowden graham crowden <laughs> yes, indeed yeah um i i would just say that as far as galaxy 4 is concerned there's only so, there's only so much new doctor who we can get um and having an episode returned to the archives is the equivalent it, it's it's getting old new old who because no one's ever seen it before well people who were lucky enough to see it on the first transmission of course um but it's it's phenomenal to actually see it it's as i say for me it's a thrill to see these characters who you know so much about actually doing the thing that makes them famous. It's, it's, there's, there's, there's no feeling like it. And so uh, if I was in any doubt as to whether or not I was a Doctor Who fan, watching this with bated breath and enjoying every moment of it confirmed that, yes, I really need to get out a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I want to I I echo those sentiments. And when I, when I was back to the, the original point of uh, how I was asked uh, what what episode I'd like to see recovered. Um, and my response was, I, I don't know, because any Doctor Who that I haven't seen, I want to see, basically. So uh, <laughs> anything that is anything that can be recovered, I, I'm, I'm more than pleased with, because I, you know, I don't care how, how terrible it might be, but um, I, I, I want to I see it. So I don't have anything that I'm particularly holding on hope for, but I, I, I want to see it all. I, I agree. And for me, just having one episode of Classic Who in existence that I haven't seen, that's amazing. It hasn't been like that for years. <laughs> so Absolutely. Not, not, not since they found the episode of the Crusade. So, yeah, I, I would echo those, those sentiments very much indeed. And I think that brings us to the end of this episode of the Doctor Who podcast. Well, save for a few announcements. Some of you may know that quite a number of the hosts of the DWP are actually musically gifted or talented. I am not one of them. I, I can hit things. At, um, well, I can just hit things, really, <laughs> not even with, with, with any kind of rhythm. Uh, but but Leeson is, is uh, musically talented, or so he tells us. He records mm. songs anyway. Uh, but but Tom, um, you, you play the guitar in, in quite a unique way. Uh, yeah, with my head. <laughs> I, I, I give good money to see that. But, uh, but yeah, no, t- Tom performs professionally. We've talked about it on the show briefly before. And uh, Tom, you, there's a video that we've been able to post on our Facebook page that uh, that shows you in concert. Where where yeah, about? This is a place in the north of England called Darwin at their Jazz and Blues Festival. Um, a little over a week ago, um, so I was very, very fortunate mm. to be in the um, in the at the theatre there. Uh, and yeah, well, if, if what, what can I say, James? If, if you're willing to share it with people, if you'd like to see uh, a black man playing playing the blues and stamping on, trying to kick his way through a stage, it's on the Facebook page right now. <laughs> yeah, it is an immense video, <laughs> listeners. You you should. You should go and check it out. It's someone who's got 
more talent in one hand than I have in my entire body. And uh, I get to record with him every week. So uh, Sometimes I'm sober. <laughs> so yeah, so check out our Facebook page, not just for Tom, but there's loads of other stuff there as well. There's some exclusive audio content that doesn't make it onto the DWP mm. feed. Uh, specifically, we record straight after every BFI event as well. So we, we give our initial reaction to seeing four or six episodes of Doctor Who all in one sitting on a big screen. So make sure you go and check that out if you haven't already. And feedback, we mentioned it earlier. We'd like your feedback. We'll have an episode that's devoted exclusively to your feedback on the show very, very soon. So send in your thoughts on any of our opinions. <laughs> well, probably not our opinions. As to yes. feedback at the Doctor Who podcast. Com. And go back and listen to uh, the episode when Stephen met Leeson for a uh, very special chance to win a signed copy of Caves of Androzani, signed by uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Roger Lim. Mm. Mm, yeah, the composer of the music uh, for, for that particular story. I have a question. Yeah. To what extent should the previous career of leading actors in Doctor Who be considered when they take up a leading role in the show? Oh boy. Tom, I think you've just added an extra episode to our Burning Issues series. <laughs> good. Which is going to continue next week. Oh, good. And do either of you know the title of this one? Have you checked the schedule out for well, it? Well, I'm sure you want to remind me and the listeners. <laughs> Stephen knows, doesn't he? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I actually don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like I can make anything up then. This will be the second of our new series of Burning Issues coming up in episode 224, and it's all about the sonic screwdriver. Is it a fantastic innovation, or is it a magic wand? All I'm saying is the visitation was the best thing that ever happened to it. <laughs> Fury from the deep. Ah, fair play. <laughs> and on that note, listeners, we'll bid you farewell. Make sure you tune in in seven days' time to hear discussion about the sonic screwdriver. Bye for now, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doctor Who podcast with James, Tom and Stephen. Recorded in a galaxy far, far away. You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or drop by the Doctor Who Podcast forums and say hi. Thank you for listening. Take care.